Hello, Beyond the Sweat crew. Uh, this is going to be our first month of our themed weekly talks. And this month, our theme is going to be supplements. Um, one caveat on supplements before we start. So as you guys know, we, we don't tend to talk that much about supplements on our one-to-one calls. And that's because I like to keep the focus on actual food and getting as much as we can from our actual food and our important life habits. Um, you know, unless you have a health condition, there are zero supplements that are necessary, right? And the game is in the name, which is that all supplements should be supplementary, right? So they should be a supplement to an already well-balanced diet and solid lifestyle habits. So if you're not balancing out meals, getting enough sleep and managing your stress, these are not a magic band-aid. None of them are. They will not do what they're supposed to do, what the supplementary uh, goal is with taking these supplements, uh, if they're being layered on top of poor health hygiene. So with that being said, supplements aren't useless, or some of them aren't useless, and we're going to talk about some of those this month. Um, if we think of suppl- if we think of the big rocks of health hygiene being nutrition, training, and recovery. And they're kind of going to be the main blocks of our wall of health. So if we imagine health as a wall that we're building, those are going to be the main bricks in that wall. Supplements would kind of be like the tiny like rocks or bits of sand or cement that we might stick in the gaps in between the bricks just to make the wall a little bit more stable. But if the bricks are all over the place already and they're really unstable, putting some extra fillers in the gaps isn't really going to make it any better. It's still going to come apart very easily. Um, So can we use supplements? Yes. Are some supplements useless? Probably. Um, Are some some supplements more useful to you specifically than others? Almost certainly. Um, But we don't have time to go through every single supplement in existence. Um, If you do have questions about specific supplements this month, feel free to drop them in the comments uh, on the presentations, and I'll be happy to answer more questions about them. But we're going to focus on four supplements that I think are pretty commonly taken and that I recommend to you guys fairly often. And the first supplement we're going to start with this week is creatine. And one of the reasons we're starting with this is because it's pretty much the most researched supplement in existence. Um... And yeah, let's find out some more about it. So starting off with what is creatine and where do we find it? Oh, science. Um, Don't worry, we're not going to go too far into the molecular stuff today. Um, But if you're watching the presentation, you'll see a picture of a creatine molecule on the screen. Um, it's not too important, so if you're listening, don't worry about it. It was just for sort of dramatic scientific effect. Um, and creatine is a substance made up of three amino acids. So L-arginine, glycine, and L-methionine. Um, it's produced in our liver, in our pancreas, and in our kidneys. And all together, those make up about one gram per day. So we naturally produce about one gram per day. Um, besides that, we can also consume creatine via foods in our diet. And the main sources of creatine uh, in diet would be seafood and red meat. However, it can be useful to supplement creatine as levels produced in the body 
and consumed in the diet are often lower than what our body is actually able to store. And this is especially um, true for very active people or athletes who might be using up their creatine stores more regularly, uh, which brings us to our next question. So how does creatine work? I'm going to go a little bit sciencey here, but I'm going to try and make it not too sciencey. Um, so we've got a nice chart in here for those of you who are watching the presentation. If you're listening, I'll explain it, so don't panic. Um, so if you do want more details on the science, again, pop some comments below and I'll go deeper. Um, but there's an important molecule that we need to know about here called ATP. And this is just useful to know about overall for understanding metabolism. Um, and ATP is the molecule that, molecule that we use for producing energy. It's what all the food we use for energy is broken down into. So whether we're using carbs, fats, or protein for energy, they all get broken in, down into ATP. And yes, protein can be used for energy sometimes. Now, we always have a little bit of ATP ready to go in our muscles in case of emergencies, um, so that we'll have fast access to energy. But after that, we have to start using glycogen stores, uh, so mainly supplied by carbs, or our fat stores. Carbs are pretty fast to break down. Um, fats are a bit slower. Um, and faster than all of those is uh, phosphocreatine stores. So if you're looking at the chart, you can see that here, right? So we have time along the bottom, and we have which systems are con contributing towards our energy production up the side. So you can see that the first sort of uh, 10 to 15 seconds is mainly the phosphagen system, which is also known as our phosphocreatine system. Um, and that very quickly dips down. Then our anaerobic system comes in, which is this blue line. And that's sort of our like glycogen store. So carb store driven system. And then slowly starting to chug along in the background is our aerobic system, which is our more uh, fat store driven system. That's making it very simple. So again, if you want more science on this, we'll go into we'll do a whole month on metabolism uh, next year. So uh, if you have questions, pop them in. We will come back to this at a later date. Um, and so whilst our body is getting its carb stores ready for this anaerobic burning, um, our body will first use the explosive phosphocreatine system to produce an initial burst of energy. So if our creatine stores are fuller, we can do a bigger initial burst of energy or it might last a little bit longer. And you can imagine how this might be helpful for things like um, very heavy lifts or being very explosive on a heavy Olympic lift, um, being more explosive at the start of a sprint or a jump and things like that. And our muscles can store up to four to six more times phosphocreatine than it can ATP. And research has shown that around five grams a day of creatine helps optimally fill up our muscle stores. So if we go back to thinking about what we said about what produces creatine on our body and our liver and our pancreas and our kidneys, they only produce a gram. So we still have about four more grams that we would want to try and optimally, uh, want to try and get to optimally fill up our creatine muscle stores. So why should we consider creatine? Um, I'm going to go into some specific, some female-specific stuff just after this. But first of all, just general benefits, right? So first of all, if we're if we're consuming a plant-based diet or a more plant-based diet, um, 
or not consuming a lot of red meat or seafood in our diet, um, we're unlikely to be getting those extra grams of creatine from dietary sources, right? And so supplementing creatine might be helpful in those situations. Now, having fuller creatine stores can be helpful for performance. So it's been shown to help with training adaptations. So getting more adaptations from your training, which could be strength-based or performance-based, um, performing better in those short burst kind of movements, um, muscle gain benefits, uh, cognitive benefits. So it's actually being studied um, for neuroprotective effects in a lot of neurogen- neurodegenerative diseases. So things like Alzheimer's um, is being studied in relation to that. That's still ongoing, but there's been some pretty positive results so far. Um, and there's also been mood benefits. So um, creatine has been linked to, um, uh, so sorry, there's been shown to be a relationship between creatine metabolism and depression. And so there's a potential that um, supplementing creatine, especially in times of high stress, might have some mood benefits there. So what about creatine considerations, especially for women? So we as women tend to have lower brain levels of creatine. And we also tend to have about 70 to 80% lower natural creatine stores than men. And so supplementing creatine for women might have especially strong cognitive benefits. So on things like mood, cognition, energy, and emotion, and particularly during times of high stress or sleep disruption. So if we're thinking about this in female-specific areas, that might be like the second half of our cycle, um, during pregnancy, in that postpartum phase, or during peri- and postmenopause where sleep tends to be disrupted. I mean, we can also apply that to general higher life stresses, right? And also if we think about training, when training volume is higher, that's also a stressor. So we might want to consider it in that kind of situation. Besides that, women also on average tend to consume less dietary creatine than men. So we're often consuming less red meat or less animal products. Um, And as I just mentioned a little bit, the menstrual cycle may have an effect on the production and storage of creatine due to hormonal fluctuations across the cycle. So if you do want to try creatine, what kind should you buy and where should you buy it? Um, So where should you buy it? You can kind of get it anywhere um, and I'll explain why. So as long as you're getting creatine monohydrate, which is the most studied form and tends to have all these effects we just discussed, um, it's really cheap. It's very easily available. As long as the source you get is pure creatine monohydrate, you're pretty good. Um, personally, I get mine in powder form and I get it from my protein. So you can just type in myprotein.com. I'm pretty sure they're global at this point, so you could get it from anywhere, but you could also go onto Amazon and type in creatine monohydrate and there'll be plenty of like totally okay sources that come up. Um, you can also get in capsules if you want. Uh, personally, I do the powder and I just throw it into my morning oats. Like you can have it in anything. It has no flavor. Um, yeah, it's totally fine. We'll go over a few FAQs for creatine. So these are ones that I tend to get asked a lot. So the first one is how much creatine should I take and when? Um, how much should you take, uh, in general, uh, three to five grams a day if you buy a packet of creatine, the scoops tend to be like a three gram scoop. So one to two scoops is fine. 
but they have studied creatine in uh, amounts of up to 30 grams a day for years and it's been shown to have no negative effects so you won't really like overdose on creatine um when should you take it it doesn't really matter um some studies have shown that taking creatine alongside carbs or protein um, can increase the absorption of creatine into muscle stores so you could consider putting it into a pre or intra workout shake if you wanted to optimize this um but it's really about the long-term uh muscle store of creatine and that builds up over time so with this three to five grams we were talking about it takes about three or four weeks of that for your muscle stores of creatine to become fully saturated so it takes some time um and this can kind of take us into our next question about whether you need to creatine load. So creatine loading um, is something that's often talked about in like athletic populations because of the fact that if we're doing three to five grams a day, it just takes longer for our creatine muscle stores to build up. Um, if you don't care about getting your creatine stores loaded up as fast as possible, you don't need to creatine load. It doesn't have a better, better long-term effect when it comes to creatine. Um, creatine loading is usually having a much larger amount of creatine for uh, three to five days um, in order to boost up the, that initial absorption of creatine. So getting your creatine stores fuller a bit faster. Um, personally, I don't, I've never done it. I don't think people need to do it unless you're an athlete and you're really trying to get the effects of creatine as fast as possible. I would just go with your three to five grams a day and just use it long term. Um, and yeah, timing wise, you can do it anytime. Again, I put mine in my oats in the morning. You could put it in a workout shake. You can put it in anything. It doesn't have a flavor. It's absolutely fine. The third question I hear a lot is, will creatine make me gain weight? Um, this comes up all the time. And the answer is yes, but not the kind of weight you're probably thinking of. So the reason this myth came about you know what? Not a myth. As I just mentioned, it's kind of truth. The reason it came about is because a lot of uh, footballers in college will take creatine, and particularly that creatine loading we mentioned, in order to try and be heavier because that's a big advantage on the field when you're, you know, in a combat sport, basically, where you're ramming into people. You want to be as heavy as possible to generate as much force as possible, right? Um, and so there came about this idea that creatine makes you gain weight because that's what people were using it for um although creatine might when you start using creatine after like a month or so you might see a very slight increase in weight um this is water and the reason for that is that creatine also causes you to store a little bit more water in your muscles um if anything that would actually just make your muscles look better because now your muscles will look fuller. So you'll look more muscular or like more toned, um, which is kind of good, you know? And the other thing is like the amount of uh, water weight that you'll gain from creatine is directly related to how much muscle mass you have. So if you are a woman and you are not an American football college athlete, um, we probably have a little bit less muscle than the average uh, football athlete. And so therefore we're likely to store a lot less water in our muscles as a result of taking creatine than an American footballer would. So although there could be a small effect on your weight from taking creatine, 
it would be water weight it wouldn't affect how much body fat you have might even just make you look better so i'm going to go over now the issn position stand on creatine if you feel like you've already gotten enough information on creatine you could absolutely stop here and you wouldn't miss out on too much the reason i'm going to go over this is because the issn so the institute um for sports science nutrition um the International Society of Sports Nutrition are kind of the foremost experts on creatine. They've done a ton of the research on it and they basically published a position stand where they looked at all the current available research on creatine and they put out nine points um, that they uh, would advise around the use of creatine. And so I'm just going to read each of those out Um if you want, at the end of this uh, presentation, I've put some further reading and I'll include the entire paper in that if you want to go and find it. Um, I'll, if you're listening, I'll put it in the show notes. So let's go through the ISSN position stand on creatine. So point one, creatine monohydrate is the most effective ergogenic nutritional supplement currently available to athletes with the intent of increasing high-intensity exercise capacity and lean body mass during training. Point two. Creatine monohydrate supplementation is not only safe, but has been reported to have a number of therapeutic benefits in healthy and diseased populations, ranging from infants to the elderly. There is no compelling scientific evidence that the short or long-term use of creatine monohydrate, which has been studied in up to 30 grams per day for five years, has any detrimental effects on otherwise healthy individuals or among clinical populations who may benefit from creatine supplementation. Point three. If proper precautions and supervision are provided, creatine monohydrate supplementation in children and adolescent athletes is acceptable and may provide a nutritional alternative with a favorable safety profile to dangerous anabolic androgenic drugs. However, we recommend that creatine supplementation only be considered for use by younger athletes who A, are involved in serious or competitive supervised training, B, are consuming a well-balanced and performance-enhancing diet, and C, are knowledgeable about appropriate use of creatine, and D, do not exceed recommended dosages. Point four. Label advisories on creatine products that caution against usage by those under 18 years old, while perhaps intended to insulate their manufacturers from legal liability, are likely unnecessary given the science supporting creatine safety, including in children and adolescents. Point five. At present, creatine monohydrate is the most extensively studied and clinically effective form of creatine for use in nutritional supplements in terms of muscle uptake and ability to increase high intensity exercise capacity, which is why it's the one we've been talking about today. Point six, the addition of carbohydrate or carbohydrate and protein to a creatine supplement appears to increase muscular uptake of creatine, although the effect on performance measures may not be greater than using creatine monohydrate alone. Point seven, the quickest method of increasing muscle creatine stores 
may be to consume around 0.3 grams per kilogram of body weight per day of creatine monohydrate for five to seven days, followed by three to five grams per day thereafter in order to maintain elevated stores. Initially, ingesting smaller amounts of creatine monohydrate, uh, for example, around three to five grams per day, will increase muscle creatine stores over a three to four week period. However, the initial performance effects of supplementation are less supported. But what that means is basically in that initial period, before your creatine stores are full, you wouldn't get the full performance benefits of full creatine stores, which makes sense, right? So our last two points. Point eight. Clinical populations have been supplemented with high levels of creatine monohydrate, 0.3 to 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight per day, equivalent to 21 to 56 grams per day for a 70 kilo individual for years with no clinically significant or serious adverse events. And our final point, point nine, further research is warranted to examine the potential medical benefits of creatine monohydrate and precursor dinoacetic acid on sport, health, and medicine. And so if you are interested in doing any further reading on creatine, these studies are a great place to start. Um, in particular, I think that the ISSN study is a good one to do. It's free. Um, you can access the whole study if you want to read it, and you can at the very least read through those points that I just mentioned. Um, the last uh, study as well, Supplementation in Women's Health, um, I think is also a great one. And they go across the whole lifespan of women and how creatine could be useful for women in each of those situations. So that's the end of our first week. I hope you enjoyed this sort of mini deep dive on creatine. If you have any extra questions about creatine or any other supplements, drop them in the comments below and I'll answer them on here. Um, if you have other supplements you would like me to cover, let me know. Next week's going to be about protein powders, the difference between different kinds of protein powder, how you can tell whether you're buying a quality protein powder or not, some things to look out for, and what all the different words on the front of, of protein powders mean. Like, what does hydrolyze mean? What's weight isolate? Uh, what's a casein protein? Uh, why, what is vegan protein? What's a pea protein versus a soy protein versus a vegan mix? We're going to go over all of that next week. So I hope you enjoyed today and let me know if you have any extra questions.